This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're here on Well, Well, Well with Jacinta and Jack, and we are now joined by Frances Brennan, who is a neurodivergent speech pathologist, allied health practice owner, and a mentor, trainer, and disability advocate. Frances, welcome to the show. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I mean, you've you've summed me up a little bit there quite nicely. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a um, speech pathologist. I own a private practice in Montrose, Victoria. Um, and I guess my mission is to do what I can to make the world a more inclusive place. So being uh, neurodivergent and queer myself, I'm looking to see what I can do for the young people that are that are coming up behind me, I suppose. Yeah, beautiful. And your clinic, Speech Tree, tell us a bit about how that came to be. Yeah, so I never intended to go into business for myself. That was something that very much sort of happened organically and, I mean, you could say accidentally. That's where the ADHD comes into it. I had an idea one night and I think I'd actioned it within 24 hours. I had a logo drawn up and a letter of resignation written for my current employer. Um, It was shortly followed by, I must admit, though, the day that I finished up at work, I went for dinner at my parents' house and I just remember having a few drinks which is very out of the ordinary for me and then being like oh my gosh what have I done I've just bought a house I've resigned from my job (laughs) I'm fully responsible for my own income but really lucky that it it took off and it's it's gone really well but it was around I guess and this is a theme that you'll hear me talk about a lot but Mm. I was working so hard to conform and to fit into a workplace and a world where I didn't fit and it was costing me so much of, you know, in terms of mental health and well-being, that I just went, you know what, I want to do it differently. And I was often having to engage with clients in a way that felt really, you know, it just, it wasn't genuine and it didn't feel helpful to yep. my clients. And so I went, you know, what, I'm going to do it differently. And so I went out and I did it differently. And I was so scared because I thought that there were all these rules. Mm. And then I realized they weren't rules. They were mm. just things that people do. Right. And then the speech tree came to be and we're weird and we're wonderful and we're different, um, but we're growing rapidly and we're succeeding and people are happy and people are sort of flocking to us. And so that really sort of spurs me on to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Love that. I guess, tell us a little bit about uh, what's involved in speech pathology for listeners who might not know what's it about and what are maybe some of those misconceptions or some of the norms that you experience that you thought were rules, but ended yeah. up not really being the case. Absolutely. So the biggest misconception is that we just work on people's talking. Right. right? Mm-hmm. I do not do that at all. I have not done that for years. Um, we are actually really, really poorly defined as a profession. So we work on language, so people's communication, their understanding. We work on speech sounds, yes. We work on stuttering. We also work on literacy, so reading and writing. We work on eating. We work on swallowing. And we used to say that we worked on pragmatics or social skills. And this is a big sticking point, I suppose, for me as a neurodivergent professional, because now we're moving away from working on social skills to working on sort of acceptance and recognising different social um, experiences and social types. But 
we do all of that. So what I do primarily is actually around social connectedness and succeeding in a largely neurotypical world. So I do lots of work with young people on dating, on mm. preparing job interviews, yep. advocating for themselves, surviving the school system. I don't know what school was like for you two, but for me it was an absolute nightmare. So we do a lot of work around that. And that's the stuff that people don't realise that speech pathologists do. Um, and, yeah, so probably the biggest sort of misconception is that we just help kids who say, you know, wascally wabbit, you know, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And as a speechy, like, how did you come to that profession and that interest? And obviously now to be able to make your own work really holistic and neurodivergent affirming, how did you get to that point? I would love to say that there was something really profound in this, but I actually wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. Uh-huh. And you know, rightly or wrongly, my parents said, no, you're too smart to do that. You need to go do something else. And so I sort of went, I actually then went into psychology, which I think every year 10 female says that they want to be a psychologist. It's forensic psychologist yes. is the big one. I want to be yeah, a forensic psychologist. Me, yeah. me too. <laughs> but then I realised, I noticed that there was a number of people wanting to be psychologists. And I decided in my infinite wisdom that I was like, no, I want something that there's more demand. I'm going to do something more niche. And so I took a step to the left and went speech pathology. That was how I landed in it. But then I started volunteering with a speech pathologist from when I was in year 10 all the way through to going to uni. And then in terms of um, being neurodivergent (laughs) affirming, that sort of just happened accidentally. So I went through this process, I suppose, where I was working with a lot of autistic kids And I really liked them. And what would happen quite often is that there would be children in the clinic that other clinicians would be like, I just can't connect with this kid. I can't get this kid to do anything, blah, blah, blah. And they would eventually get shifted onto my caseload. Right. And then I would meet this kid and I'd be like, this kid is awesome. Like, what are you talking about? And they were kids that would, you know, misbehave or be really challenging. But I just had this ability to connect with them. And I actually genuinely really enjoyed their presence. And what I realised over time was I would say to parents all the time, oh, yeah, I know they do that, but, like, I do that too. (laughs) You say that a few times and then I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) hang on a minute, (laughs) I see what's happening here. And then I went through the process, which, you know, I'll chat a bit about later as well, that all most autistic females go through where I saw a number of doctors who said, nah, no chance, you're not autistic, you can't be ADHD, you're too successful, you're too intelligent, Mm. you've got interpersonal Ah. relationships, can't be, no Mm -hmm. chance. Um. That's very familiar. Yeah. 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 And so I had to really fight to be to be recognised, which was hard because I actually didn't know if I wanted to be autistic either. Yeah. So like here I am like pushing and fighting for something that I'm like, well, I don't actually do I be, want this. Do I want this? Yeah. Do I? And, you know, you, you play games in your mind about whether you have a choice about it anyway. Obviously, I don't. I am what I am. Yes. But it's something that in one way exists. If I go down that pathway, it doesn't exist if I don't go down that yeah, pathway. Yeah, it like know? validates it in some ways in your mind by having it diagnosed, yeah, I suppose. Schrodinger's cat, you know, yeah, Schrodinger's right. autism. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I fell into it. But basically what happened was I was connecting with these young people and I was getting progressively pissed off by the way that other people were treating them and putting right. them in boxes and labelling them. And I was like, if you just took two seconds to get on their level, you would actually see that this person is amazing yep. if you set them up to succeed. And so I didn't even know the term neurodiverse affirming at that point, but that's, I guess, what I was being. I was just being person affirming, you know, that yeah. this was a person who was trying their best at the time and 
that we had to do more to set them up to succeed, not just get annoyed with them when they weren't. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of clients do you work with now? Do you do a lot of work with the LGBTIQA plus community or is that something that you're leaning more into now? I'm leaning more into it now. It's been something that, um, so I was saying to you guys obviously before the interview started that this is new for me to have um, come out sort of publicly, I suppose, about about being queer. Yep. Um, not that I hid it, but it just never seemed relevant, if mm. that makes sense. Whereas, you know, talking about my autism felt relevant. It was always kind of, well, it was, more, I suppose, more core to the work you were doing. Absolutely. Yeah. But what I'm seeing more and more is that the young people coming through my clinic, there's it's more so probably gender diverse because of the age group. So we're not delving so much into the sexuality stuff, but sometimes we do, but I'm seeing a lot of gender diverse um, young people. And we know that being autistic, you're statistically much more likely to Mm. actually present as gender diverse. Um, So I'm definitely seeing that and I'm educating families, but I'm also really advocating for schools around accepting that. But I think what's also happening is there's a complexity that comes from being autistic. I mean, being experiencing any kind of gender difference is a lot to actually get your head around. And yeah. I know that that's something that as an adult, I've only just really actually started exploring. I've always been sort of she, her until recently. And then I was like, hang on, maybe she, they actually yeah. feels yep. more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but being autistic, I can tell you, I've spent so much of my life masking that I sort of go, well, what's a mask? What's not? What does it feel like to feel a certain gender? Am I overthinking? You get so in your Mm. own head about it and so not sure because you're told your whole life that you're kind of getting things wrong. You know, that's a big part of being autistic is that things that feel right to you, you're told are wrong. So, you know, the the, classic example, I suppose, is stimming. So stimming is any sort of self-stimulatory behavior. Lots of people think of flapping as the the standard one, but there's lots of fidgeting type behaviors that we embrace now. We have fidgets, you know, in classrooms and everything. But all of those things you're told from a very very early age, sit still, listen, sit still, listen. Yeah. Mm. But sit still and listen aren't the same thing. And to a lot of people, sitting still means not listening, Mm. right? So if you're that person, you're being told sit still, listen, you're like, oh, what my body wants to do is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. And so you're getting these messages your whole life growing up, right? That what you're doing or what feels right to you is wrong. And you start thinking about gender and And then you add gender, which is such an abstract, like social, you know, construct. And, you know, these young people are trying to find somewhere to hang their hat and it's so confusing. And on top of that, you have parents saying, I think it's just a phase, Mm. which most kids get anyway. But then also if you've got any layer of uh, neurodivergence or any sort of disability, well, you know, everyone's so ready to see you as like an asexual being who yeah, couldn't right. you couldn't possibly understand the complexity of gender and so it's even more sort of like knocked out or they're just copying their sister or they're just copying their brother and it they're disempowered even more in mm. that self-expression so there's so much to unpack and any young person who is at first expressing you know any variance in in gender from what you know particularly their family expects they have to advocate and if you've got you know, poor advocacy skills. It's just all so tied up in it. So there's a lot of supporting young people to to really find out who they are and be comfortable with who they are and advocate for who they are, but then also work with the support system around them to validate their experience. And we'll ask more about that after a really short break. Stay with us here on Well, Well, Well. Sexual health, mental health and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. 
here on Well, 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 you're with Jack and Jacinta, and we're still here with Francis uh, Brennan, neurodivergent speech pathologist, and much, much more. <laughs> Francis, you have submitted an abstract to the LGBTIQ plus women's health conference. I believe the session is called Lost in Conformity, Understanding the Price of Masking for Queer Autistic Women. I mean, you were speaking a little bit about that before the break. What are you keen to explore specifically within that session of the Women's Health Conference? Yeah, so I think what I'm, what I was really getting at when I was putting together that abstract was the, I guess, the mental health burden that comes from belonging to multiple minorities, but also um, to minorities where there's this big, um, I guess, pressure to, or initial reaction, I suppose, to try and remain hidden. Mm. So both, you know, um, growing up queer and also once I recognised I was autistic were both things that I felt like I needed to keep private or to hide from people and I spent a lot of time trying to be like people around me and that's a, a story that I hear from lots of people that I meet and lots of people that I talk to and I guess within that I actually want to talk also about the the power of um, embracing authenticity um, mm. and what it can be like to unmask and so and the benefits that can come from that. I guess for people who aren't as across the the subject matter we're speaking about top level what is masking and and what are some of the pressures uh for neurodivergent folk potentially to conform absolutely all right so masking is just pretending to be something that you're not it's blending in it's being a a social chameleon you know um mirroring what you're seeing in the room to try and please other people Mm. or out of fear that what you are is not correct in that space um I used to always refer to my game face. So um, I have always been, I connect really well with my clients and I've changed the way that I do this. But what it used to mean is that if you saw me in two back-to-back 45-minute sessions with my clients, the Francis that you saw in the first session might be very different to the Francis that you saw in the second session, but the Francis would be exactly who that client wanted or needed them to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just giving people what they needed and just almost like shape-shifting, you know, to to sort of be what people wanted me to be. But obviously the risk of that is that one, you know, people talk about, well, you're you're just not being yourself, right? So you're hiding that part of yourself. But yes, there's that. But I think there's this other thing that people don't talk about, which is that you do it for long enough and you get to the point where you're like, who Who is myself? Mm. Um, And it's it's actually, you know, it, it sounds silly, but it's really hard to sort of unpick. But masking is encouraged from such a young age Mm. just with little things that parents and teachers say to us you know um I would never smile as a child I would never smile my mum took me to a pediatrician who spent ages tickling me and trying and said sorry ended up saying oh she is a solemn lass isn't she was the sort of the feedback but you know I look at it now and I go yeah because we know about yeah, different ways that the brain works and, and neurons firing that, you know, babies learn to mirror facial expressions. Yeah. And I obviously didn't have that, so I wasn't mirroring, smiling. Um, I went through high school, you might have to edit this, I don't know if I'm now allowed to swear, you but are. like um, resting bitch face and Daria yep. were the things that people would often <laughs> reference to me. But it's just that my face does nothing, you know, a lot of the time. And I think the experience, you know, I'm always really... Um, wary when talking about my experience because it is my experience it is not the experience of, of everyone but you know I um had a recent uh experience with talking to a friend of mine who's in a relationship and she said that this guy that she was seeing she goes yeah he just he really hurt my feelings and I was like what and she goes yeah he really hurt my feelings and I'm like what do you what do you mean he hurt your feelings 
And she's like, well, like, it just really hurt my feelings when he said blah, blah, blah. And I was like, adults don't get hurt feelings. What are you talking about? That's just something we say to children to make them behave. Yeah. Now, I am a 33-year-old, highly <laughs> educated person, and I did not know that neurotypical people and maybe other um, autistic people, I don't know, get hurt feelings because I don't Jeez. get hurt feelings. And there have been moments where I've had, like, arguments with my partner and they'll be crying and I'll be like... Like, can you, like, harden up and just, like, have the conversation? Dead ass. And I had no idea that I was hurting feelings. And so my friend had to explain it to me as, like, they say something and it makes you feel less as a person. And then I was like, well, nothing makes me feel less as a person. And then I was like, am I an egomaniac? Like, what is going on here? Am I a psychopath? Yeah, 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 that's right. But what I've realised is I just process things differently. So I'm very logical. So if I stepped out of this meeting and you guys went, do you know what? We're not going to play that on air. That actually wasn't great. (laughs) I wouldn't have hurt feelings. I'd go, You'd be like, oh, oh, fair. maybe I need to practice a bit more. Maybe it wasn't <laughs> like, to, like, I would just be very logical about it and I wouldn't get like this hurt feeling thing. Yeah. So, but because of those, because we miss some of those things and that's quite an extreme example, I think. <laughs> um, very, very part of me that was very underdeveloped, it seems. Um, I've had to talk to my staff about it and everything and be like, have I ever hurt your feelings? And they were like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, team, I yeah. didn't know that. Um, and even yesterday I said something to someone and then I went up to one of my client care team and I said, do I need to apologize to her? Did I hurt her feelings? So now I'm checking in. But, you know, when you don't know that those things, so I would have hurt so many people's feelings and then people would have been annoyed at me and I would have been like, Ugh, I don't know why that person yeah. is annoyed at me. And then I'm getting that confusing feedback and then I'm going to look around at other people and go, what do I need to do to like, what have I done? It yeah. doesn't make yeah. sense to me. Yeah. And so you try and blend in, yes. right? Because yeah. no, it doesn't make sense. So. Yeah, yeah. And you can see how there would be obviously like emotional um, impacts from that perhaps, um, you know, not being able to process what is happening in your relationships and with your interactions with other people. And what what kind of impact can that have on you as the autistic person who is – you know, experiencing this and deep under layers of all these different masks. What it, What is that kind of impact that you see? It's That's when we have the mental health issues come out, all of the, the self-doubt, the anxiety, the self-loathing. You know, um, one of the things that I, I will talk about at the conference as well is this tendency for fem- autistic females to actually be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, mm. which I don't know if you guys know much about borderline personality disorder, but it is actually a mental health condition that has a huge amount of stigma within the medical profession. People don't, health professionals don't respond kindly to this diagnosis because it's it's deemed that people are manipulative. Um, But that manipulation, I think, is, as it's, sorry, I'm doing air quotes for people listening, like manipulation, um, is actually just trying to control a situation because the situation doesn't fully make sense to us or because we've, we've got it wrong in other situations or, you know, there's a lot of overlap here and, having that diagnosis and I was actually given that diagnosis at one point in time and then I had it taken away by another professional when they were like, no, no, you're actually autistic. It was actually so damaging mm. to me and how I viewed myself because it's a personality disorder. It was like, they, you know. The- when you were diagnosed with BPD. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and, you know, having any sort of diagnosis, I think, yeah. you know, there's this trauma or grief that comes with it as much as we can be proud of our identity and yeah. I've worked to be proud mm. of who I am, but that's still, there's that's that a initial, lot of processing like, of uh, following that impact. And it's all based on somebody else's perception of you and how that person felt in the room with you. And so when you have someone assess you and they're like, their social skills were shit, you're like, all right, well, that feels like a judgment call. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't love interacting with you either. Like, can I write you a report? Yeah. Um, So (laughs) 
you know, there's a lot that go, you know, when we talk about these things as disorders, which, yeah. you know, we're really moving away from, we're trying to say yes. autistic neurotype, but yep. mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of mental health strain that comes from it. And I think it's taken a lot for me to balance my intellect and my worth and my mm. value with some pretty significant deficits and how you reconcile that and accept those parts of yourself without feeling less in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And for queer women, especially, um, you know, there's all those misconceptions about who we are as women and like the heteronormativity as well. Like, do you see that come into play in what you've experienced and, and what you see with, you know, people Definitely. you're working with. <laughs> Definitely you're in like, my experience. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. all you would have to do is like find my profile, like my Facebook profile and like flick through the profile pictures and you're like, dyke, baby dyke, butch, total femme, like perm with lipstick, like back to like, the full spectrum. Butch, like and I'm just like flicking between them yeah. trying to be like, what What's am I? On? What yeah, am yeah. I? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's um, I was fortunate enough that I engaged him with minus 18 when I was yep. younger. But I remember going there and seeing all these women with like their short hair and their tattoos. And I was like, is that what I'm supposed to be? Because yeah. remember, I learned from masking and through mimicking other people. Yep. And I'm like, that must be what I have to be to be gay. Mm-hmm. You're like, I guess I have to overcorrect now for the potential of like That's completely right. missing, misreading the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot yeah. there. So it's really complex when you when you add that layer to it. But I think I think any young person coming out goes through that anyway. You look yeah. to the community to be like, what yeah. am I meant to be? Yeah, try different things out. But yeah, it, it gets, yeah I can I imagine. Like mine extended. Yeah, yeah. Age-wise than and it, was it meant becomes to. so confusing and has such a big impact on yeah, like you said, your self doubt and and your self worth, and you don't quite fit in anywhere, even though you know but maybe then, that's a, your own misunderstanding. And yeah, it just it's a lot. There is also like you know we talk about conformity like it's bad, but it's not. And as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm like, nice glasses, same as mine. Yeah. Nice overshirt, same <laughs> as mine. Um, yes. So like you know. We've, we've got the we've, uniform yeah, on today. Yeah. So there's clearly, you know, there is part of conformity that is belonging as well yeah, isn't it, to, yeah. to a community. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Recognition. And I think like that also speaks to maybe the, um, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the re- like the relevance or prevalence of autism and neurodivergence in queer community. Yeah. And I was talking to my friend about this today because my brain for a long time has seen the two things as like two separate minorities that I belong to. But now I'm realizing that there's like this super minority in the middle. Mm. It's like a Venn diagram, but it's just, it's a circle. It's a circle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But then it's so funny because like I meet another autistic person. I'm like, Hey, neurospicy person. I like you. I meet another queer person. I'm like, Hey, I like you. I meet an autistic uh, queer person. I'm like, like you're my person on. you are my person and <laughs> and there's just there's different communication styles and there's different cultural you know ways that we do things and I think once you can actually lean into that mm. then um it's actually so fun and you can find this connection and I feel like you know as wanky as this sounds that's actually when some of the healing yeah. happens from mm. having tried trying to fit it's into true. a neurotypical world yeah. for all that time all of a sudden you found your people and yeah, it's just fantastic. Yeah. It's this connection that's like nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Also, mad love neurospicy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and for people who aren't, maybe are not sure about how to find their people, how to find the queer neurospices, 
Where do you go? I, I know you love that word now. But well, <laughs> the eye roll that you just threw my way. I was like, should I not like that? Okay, okay. <laughs> but where can people go? Like, are there, are there resources? Do you, I mean, What's yes, we're available? everywhere. But yeah. if someone's looking for something really, like, tangible to go, yes, I want to look into this, do, like, really hectic research and think about it really intensely yeah I feel like I'm gonna say like no there aren't organizations specifically and then like anyone who like listens or comments is gonna be like yes there is there's this one there's this one there's this one um so I don't know I work with an organization um that you know is works with uh young females and gender diverse people so Mm. that's yellow ladybugs um so they're great for teens particularly um that identify as female or gender diverse Um, So that's been a really nice connection and safe place for lots of those people. But to be honest, I find that anywhere that you go that's an autistic um, organisation, you'll find a lot of uh, queer people. And anywhere you go that's a queer group, you're going to find a lot of autistic people. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's actually about um, whether you're happy to own that identity and put that out there to connect with other people Mm. and, and then you will find it. So, you know, it's little things, but like on my lanyard, I wear my yellow ladybug badge and I also wear the neurodivergent infinity symbol and you know I had a kid say to me the other day on a school visit they were like are you a yellow yellow ladybug and I was like yeah and they're like me too and I was like that's so cool that this symbol is just is just recognized you know um but in terms of specific groups I actually don't know of any but maybe we should really get some together because that Mm -hmm. I feel like would just be like an epic thing that would go (laughs) off and would be so much fun so yeah yeah and maybe it it already exists out there maybe it does can I get an invite if it is yeah Yeah. (laughs) wherever you guys are hanging out like let me know yeah and and finally um I guess what kind of changes do you hope to see in this area of you know masking conformity and the impact on mental health what do you hope to see change I guess you know I talk a lot about authenticity I want people to be able to be their authentic selves but I would love for people to not have to come out I feel like I have to come out all the time I have Mm. to come out as gay I have to come out as autistic I you know have to drop it into conversation almost apologetically sometimes to explain why I am the way that I am and you know maybe that's my hang up maybe that's still society maybe it's a bit of both there's always a bit of processing in the background but I feel like it can weigh you down at at a like after a while yeah yeah yeah. so I would love for that not to to be be a thing yeah yeah for us just to be another type of normal you know, as opposed to a subgroup. Yeah. 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 Get those air quotes out again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Normal. I, yeah, I feel like that one was portrayed a little bit more in the voice. Normal. But yeah. That just came out by itself. Um, Francis, if people want to find out more about your work, whether it's um, what you're presenting at the Women's Health Conference um, or otherwise, where can they find out more? Yeah, absolutely. So um, The Speech Tree is um, our clinic and our website, www.thespeechtree.com.au, has all of um, our resources and blog posts and everything. And we're also on all your other socials. So TikTok, Instagram, you know, we're pretty prolific on that. So feel free to follow (laughs) us. It's a lot of um, neurospicy nonsense. Love it. Thank you so much, Francis, for joining us here on Well, Well, Well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and wellbeing and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation. Joy. Help keep joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.